What's up? Hey, we're awake. All right. So I see blue. Are there Kentucky fans that are excited today? Great. I'll pray God removes that idol from you. So uh, anyway, welcome to Rev. We're glad you uh, you made it in on a beautiful day today. Uh, we have Dave tonight bringing the word. Uh, so he will be, uh, be laying down, I guess, kind of picking up where I left off last week. A couple of announcements before we get started. Um, if you have the, the, uh, the form to fill out for an assessment, uh, we need that back still for the core group folks. Uh, if you want to join the core group, just ask anyone that's going to be on stage. They are in the process, in the process of setting up a, uh, an event down in the East End, our little uh, East End missionary folks are. So that'll be coming up and we'll definitely be needing your help for that. So fill that out so we can get some things rolling there. And then also in two weeks on Easter, we'll be having a baptism Sunday. So I know a few of you have expressed interest in that. If you are considering that, please, again, just get with one of the guys that are on the stage or in the back somewhere. um, And we can have a little chat and get all that squared away. Let's see. Other than that, I think that's about it. On, On the 20th on Easter, that will start. We'll do our first just regular communion. Then uh, every month after that, throughout the summer, we'll do uh, a communion here. And then we'll have a little like dinner, get-together thing afterwards. Or we'll just all hang out since uh, for those of us that have little kids, they won't be in school and we can actually stay up past 9 o'clock and live a little dangerously. So uh, we'll do that. You'll be there one day. Just laugh. Um, so we'll do that. In about a month or so, uh, and then we'll do that, you know, reoccurring. So that'll be that'll be fun. That'll be good times. So maybe we'll bring some cards and play pinochle and canast and all that other stuff that old people do. So maybe bridge. I don't know. We'll see what we can fit in. So um, that's a joke. So those are card games. Their cards are actually these plastic things that before you had computers and little screens, you'd actually play in person, and you could deal and shuffle and stuff. It's a crazy thought. They were a physical thing. I understand, but. We'll learn you these things. You can probably find them in the Smithsonian or something like that. So, uh, anyway, we're going to get 30 seconds. Uh, I don't really have anything. Josh always has these really like fun and exciting things to talk about. So, 30 seconds. Just find someone you don't know. Say, hey, and tell them why you love Kentucky or why you don't care about basketball or some other thing. The Reds won today. That's great, too. Talk about that. So, 30 seconds. Go. So what's up, Revolution? That's what I'm talking about. I don't care about Kentucky or the Reds or anything like that at all. I mean, good for them. I'm glad they're doing well. But I just anyone else like go sports? Like you just don't care at all? All right. Yeah. So that's me. All right. Um, so I've made it pretty clear uh, in the past that I am a huge metalhead. Right? I love heavy music. The heavier, the better. The less you can understand the words that they're saying. That's what we're all about, right? I don't want anyone to be able to have any idea what's going on. All right. Uh, but what you may not know, and my shirt might tell you, 
is that I used to be a gangster. All right? That little known fact, it's something I don't like to tell people. And I don't mean an actual gangbanger. Um, I mean, I was like mama's little thug, right? I was like, from, from age, uh, from like the fourth to sixth grade, um, I wanted to be a gangster rapper more than I wanted to breathe. <laughs> right? Like uh, Eminem, DMX. Remember Puff Daddy whenever he used to do music and not just make a fool of himself? Um, yeah, Ryan does, because he's old. Um, Puff Daddy, DMX, Snoop, D12, all that stuff. I just wanted to be a gangster rapper, but it really just wasn't going to work out that well because I'm from Minford. And if you guys don't know where Minford is, it's a lot of cornfields, a lot of cows. Um, and why I thought that a 10-year-old white boy from the sticks was going to end up being a gangster rapper, I have no idea. But that's what I tried to do. All right, that's what I thought I wanted to do. All right, and then something huge happened all right, to change all that. I found, about, found out about metal, right? Uh, someone gave me a copy of P.O.D.'s Satellite. Anyone like P.O.D. in here? A couple of us, all right. Now, Satellite, all right, on that album, uh, they had a hit called Alive. They had a hit called Boom. They had a hit called Youth of the Nation. And if you don't know Alive, you probably weren't alive in the early 2000s because everyone knows that song. You just got to hear it, I suppose. But that's, that's, that's what I got into, right? I remember the first time I ever heard that tune or heard that whole album. I was like, what, what is going on? Like, the drum beat's not the same for five and a half minutes? This is nuts, right? I was like, oh, there's guitars? Like, it's distorted, and it sounds mean, and did that dude just scream instead of sing? This is madness, all right? And, that, and that's kind of what attracted me to the genre, right? And, and because of that, like, all, all kinds of things about me started changing. I'm still feeling the influence of listening to rock music for the first time, right? Um, I started getting really into the drums because I thought the drums were like the coolest sounding thing in the world on that album. So I started learning how to play drums. Um, and obviously I still play here with you guys. I play in a couple of bands, uh, Shameless Plug. One of them, we're playing our last show next week in Grayson, Kentucky. If you want to find out more, get a hold of me. It'll be a good time. Um, but so it set me on this like projected path, all right? So not only did it do that, though, um, with, with playing the drums, but I also started to be like, okay, these are like metaphorical lyrics. Like, what's going on here? Um, so I started getting into poetry and getting into writing lyrics myself um, that were, like I said, kind of veiled in metaphor and stuff. So I started learning how to write lyrics, and then that inspired me um, to start a band later when I was in high school, which I'm still currently in. Uh, like I said, we're getting ready to, to end it. All right, so... All this stuff changed about me, right? Just from listening to a record... All right, which is insane. And obviously, like I said, it got heavier and heavier and heavier until now no one has any idea what I'm listening to ever. My family makes fun of me all the time. Um, but all right, if that record changed me this much, uh, what I want to talk about tonight is, is at how much bigger of a change that actually coming to faith in Jesus Christ changes us. All right? Not just your music style or how you dress or the kind of slang you use or anything like that, but coming to Jesus changes us to our very core. All right, coming to genuine faith in Jesus. And what I mean by genuine faith in Jesus is I don't mean a recognition that Jesus is God or a recognition in your mind that Jesus is the Son of God who died for sin, but I mean putting your faith and your loyalty and your hope and your trust in the fact that Jesus Christ came and lived a sinless life and then took your sin on himself and then went to the cross and paid God's wrath that was owed to you, that he paid that for you. And that's what saves you, all right? That's the kind of genuine saving faith that I'm talking about, right? Whenever you come to believe that and believe it in your heart and you become changed by it, right? You become a completely new person whenever you come to genuine saving faith in Jesus, right? Everything changes, right? We get all these new things. We get a, we get a new nature, 
All right, I think it's uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about, you know, the old person is dead and behold, the new has come, right? We're a new person completely. Uh, the book of Romans says that we were crucified with Christ and that in our baptism we were buried like he was and in our resurrection we're raised to new life like Jesus was raised to new life through the resurrection. All right, so we become, a, we, get these, we get a new nature completely. We're not the same person that we used to be because the old man has died. The old part of us that was sinful, the old, our old nature is dead now. Um, something else that we get, we get a new identity. All right, we become completely new people. We identify ourselves with Jesus. Like I'm no longer David, the uh, atheist, druggy, or dope-smoking, alcoholic, borderline idiot that I was, right? I'm no longer that anymore. I'm David, the follower of Jesus, because the old me has died because of my faith in Jesus. I identify myself with Christ. I'm David, the follower of Jesus now, right? So I get a whole new identity. Um, I also get, we also get new desires whenever we come to faith in Jesus, all right? Romans chapter 7 um, talks about, you know, like the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I don't want to do, I do. All right, talking about warring with your flesh, right? Like your, your sinful self still wants you to disobey God, but your desire now is to obey God, right? So there's a struggle now because your desires have changed. You want to follow Jesus. You want to obey Jesus' commands because you love him, right? Because you understand what he saved you from. And, and, and that makes you want, it gives these new desires to you. Um, we're also given new power whenever we come to faith in Jesus. Um, the power over sin is broken, right? Jesus, Jesus trampled sin through his death and resurrection. He broke sin's power over us whenever we come to faith in him. Right? And what I mean by that is Romans chapter 6 talks about how we were slaves to sin, but no longer. All right? we, we come to faith in Jesus. Sin's power is broken over us. We can now do good. Right? Our desires change to follow Jesus and do the things he's commanded us to. We can now do that. Where before, before we came to faith in Christ... We, we couldn't do any good, but now we can. So the power of sin is broken on us. Right? We're also given a new perspective whenever we come to faith in Jesus. And some of you guys might not like this anymore. But uh, if you're a Christian and you've placed your faith in Jesus, you don't have an opinion anymore. Right? We're given new perspectives on everything. My perspective is now to be Jesus' perspective. Whenever I vote, um, it's not what does David, the 22-year-old, Sarita County, and think about this issue. It's what does the God of the Bible have to say on this issue, right? What does the God of the Bible have to say about life? What does the God of the Bible have to say about marriage? What does the God of the Bible have to say about social justice? All right? Whenever I see someone at work that I don't much like anymore, it doesn't matter what does David think about this person that he works with. It's what does God say? And God says that that person is created in the image of God and that they have self-worth. Like they have worth that has to be respected. Right? And that they deserve uh, me to treat them with the same love that I've been treated with. All right? So I don't have an opinion anymore. My, I'm, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. My opinion is that of my king. Right? So our perspectives change. Right, Jesus' opinion is greater than ours now. But ultimately, the, the thing that we get above everything else is we get new life. Right? We get eternal life whenever we die. We don't go to hell. Right? We get new life. And, and not only that, but we actually get new life right now. Right? Like we're being presently saved from the power of sin. Right? We're no longer slaves to sin. Right? So not only do we get eternal life, but we actually get new life right now through faith in Jesus. All right, but... I've been reading the Old Testament a lot lately. Right? Now, trust me, this all has something to do with it. Uh, I've been reading the Old Testament a lot, and uh, I've probably been annoying my friends to death, like Stephen and Wolf, telling them little tidbits, like, hey, did you know this happened in Chronicles? Or, hey, did you know about this law in Leviticus or whatever? And they're like, nah, I really don't care either. Because um, right, I'm just full of useless information. Like, and not that Bible information is useless, but anyone else is full of Jeopardy crap, like never going to benefit you ever. 
And you just know, see, like, I know crap like that because I spend, like, three or four hours a day, every day on Wikipedia, learning tons about absolutely nothing, all right? And I don't know if anyone else can identify with that, but that's me, all right? And God bless Wikipedia. College students, can I get an amen? Anyone? God bless Wikipedia, right? It's so good. Like, have you ever tried to find Jesus on Wikipedia? I don't, I don't mean, like, search Jesus. I mean, go to some article that has nothing to do with Jesus and click on enough hyperlinks, and you'll find your way to Christianity. I promise. Which is just proof of God's providence that everything points to Jesus. And that's what I'm telling you right now. So play the Wikipedia game about finding Jesus if you're ever bored. It's a good time. You'll learn a lot of stuff that you, won't benefit you ever unless you go out on Jeopardy or someone asks you a question. Um, all right, but anyways, I mentioned the Old Testament because this theme of change is all in the Old Testament and in the New Testament because the Old Testament points to the New Testament most often, all right? So this theme of change is throughout the Old Testament, all right? Because change happens whenever we come to know God. Change in us and then change in our actions, right? Because whatever changes in our heart manifests itself in our hands, right? So we're going we're gonna to go to a couple examples in the Old Testament, um, just real quick. One you've heard of, one you probably haven't, um, unless you guys like to read your Old Testament, like I do. It's good times. Um, so Moses, the first one that we're going to go to, the first example about it, someone who was changed by coming to know God. Um, everyone pretty much knows the story of Moses. He's the dude that led the Israelites out of slavery in the book of Exodus. Um, Pharaoh, let my people go, that guy. Um, but what you may not know is he was raised an Egyptian, right? He didn't know he was Jewish. So he was raised Egyptian, and I'm sure he was worshiping false gods, didn't know the God of the Bible, didn't worship the God of his ancestors, all right? And then he finds out one day that he is, in fact, Hebrew, all right? He's a Jew, and then he sees an Egyptian uh, beating a Jew, and he kills the Egyptian, all right? And then after he kills the Egyptian, he takes off to this land called Midian, all right? And he's kind of hiding out there, and he marries, and he's settled down, and you, you can argue that he doesn't know God yet. There's some debate on that, that whether or not he came to faith while he was in Midian, or he came to faith whenever he sees God in the burning bush, which is what I'm getting at, all right? So he's out tending his flock. I'm going to argue that he probably doesn't know God at this point. Um, so he's out tending this flock. He's a shepherd. And he sees this bush on fire. And this is the part that everyone knows, right? God speaks to him through the burning bush. And he tells him, you know, hey, he calls him out. He says, hey, I am God. I am that I am. The most confusing sentence in the entire Bible. Um, He says, I am God. And this is what I want you to do, right? I'm calling you out. I'm calling you to faith. I want you to lead my people. You're going to do all kinds of great things because I'm going to give you the power to do them. You're going to lead my people out of slavery. I'm going to give you the law. I'm going to do all these things through you, right? So new Christians, people who are kind of new to this whole game, think about Moses. He's someone that knows nothing about God, all right? Doesn't follow God. And then God shows himself to him, right? God makes himself real, um, draws him to himself, And then Moses goes away changed, right? He goes away and eventually becomes the greatest Old Testament prophet that ever lived, right? He did all these great things because he encountered God and he was changed at his core to go do God's will and obey him, all right? And the the second example I want to talk about um, is King Josiah, all right? You can find him in 2 Kings uh, 22 and 23. Um, And for those of you who don't know King Josiah, and I don't expect a lot of you to know him because I just found out about him a couple of months ago, um, King Josiah is a king of Judea, all right? And um, the Bible says that he's a godly king, right? He's a godly king, but he doesn't have the Torah. He doesn't have the first five books of the Bible, okay? That's the books of the law that, that God gave Moses um, for, to like, instruct the Jewish people how to live. Now, he doesn't have the Torah, but the Bible says that he's worshiping God as best as he knows how, right? And the reason why he doesn't have a t- the Torah is because 
the kings of Judea weren't that good. They don't have a very good reputation for being godly. It's kind of sad. Um, so that a lot, in all likelihood, they had the Torah destroyed, and they had let the temple go to crap. They had let it just get a mess. All right, so Josiah knows enough, though, that like, hey, this is God's temple. This, this is the place we're supposed to worship him. I'm going to kind of reconstruct, fix up the temple a little bit. All right, so he sends his people in there to do it, and as God's providence would have it, we have um, Hilkiah, King Josiah's high priest, finds a copy of the Torah in the temple. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't have looked in the temple for the Bible anyway, but he found it in there. All right, so he finds the Torah in the temple, and he takes it to King Josiah. And Josiah reads it, and he's like, oh my gosh, I've not been obeying all of these laws that God expects us to obey. We've not been celebrating the festivals God expects us to obey, or expects us to celebrate. We've not been doing any of this stuff that the, that the Torah tells us we're supposed to do. So what does he do? He institutes religious reform throughout the entire kingdom. All right? He says, okay, I didn't know these things about God. I didn't know these things uh, that God expects his people to do. I didn't know these things that God expects his people not to do. All right, so he's like, I'm going to institute religious reform all throughout Judea. And that's what he does. All right, so you more mature Christians, all right, those of us who have been at this game for a while. Think about King Josiah, okay? He was a godly man. He was worshiping him as be- worshiping God as best as he knew how. But then he comes to greater knowledge in God, right? He comes to greater knowledge of God, learns to understand God's character better, learns to, to see the things that uh, God expects his people to do and expects his people to abstain from, all right? And what does he do? Change happens, all right? He begins to institute change in himself and in the people around him that he controls, all right? So keep that in mind. The more we study scripture and the more God reveals himself to us, the more change has to happen in our lives, all right? So whenever we come to know God through faith in Jesus, whether we don't know God at all and we're like Moses and then we come to our initial faith in him, or whether we're more mature Christians and and we come to know God more fully, Right, through studying scripture or being in small groups or, or coming here to Rev or, or whatever, more change happens, right? Because knowing God will change your heart and, it, and it'll, it'll show itself in what you do with your hands. All right? Now, we're going to go to the New Testament now. All right? We're going uh, to anchor in the book of Acts. Okay? It's going to be Acts 9, 1 through 6, and then we're going to go on down to uh, verses 20 and 22. If you guys want to follow along in your Bible, it's page 660. All right? But it's also going to be up here, so you don't have to do that, because I'm really lazy whenever I'm out in the congregation, and I don't like to flip, so I just always use this thing. So it's my gift to you guys. Also, if you don't have a Bible, take this one with you. They're free. It's not theft. Go for it. Um, we want you to read a Bible, and this Bible is super easy to understand. So just whatever Bible you're going to actually read, take that one with you. All right? But before we get into it, this, this bit's about Paul that we're going to read, uh, the Apostle Paul. Now, I identify with Paul a lot. All right? Uh, Paul hated Christians. All right. He actually had like a license to kill from the Jewish high-ups. Um, think like James Bond. Paul's kicking in doors with a golden gun, popping off Christians every chance he gets. He hates them. All right. And that used to be me. All right. I, I was an atheist. I hated Christians. I guarantee you I would have hated every single one of you in this room, save a couple, like my mother and my father maybe. Uh, but that's about it. All right. I hated Christians, and I absolutely couldn't stand the idea of Jesus as God. All right. But we're going to see... Paul was the same way, and we're going to take a look at the, the kind of change uh, that happened in his life whenever he came to faith in Jesus. All right, so let's fire it up. Meanwhile, Saul, this is Paul's original name, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way, that's Christianity, um, that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. 
Right? So Jesus blinds him. And then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. All right, and we're going to save you the next few verses till we get to 20. Uh, here's what happens, all right? So Paul's struck blind, all right? He struck off his horse. Jesus appears to him, and he says, you know, you're persecuting me. I'm God, all right? I'm the one that you're persecuting, not the followers, all right? So he's, he's declaring his, his divinity. Jesus is showing up saying, I am God. I'm the one that you're after, and you're going to go into the city, or you're going to be blind, all right? So Paul, being a smart man, goes into the city, all right? He doesn't want to be blind forever, all right? And in the city, what happens is he meets a Christian, all right? And the Christian tells him the gospel, and then Paul comes to faith, okay? He believes, he repents, he's baptized, and then we're going to check out this beautiful change that we see happen in Paul in verse 20 through 22. So he comes to genuine faith. It says, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is indeed the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man who caused such a devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem, they asked? And didn't he come here to arrest them and to take them in chains to the leading priests? Saul's preaching became more and more powerful, and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. All right, so there's huge change in Paul, right? He's, he's out with a license to kill Christians. Jesus shows up. He meets Jesus. Then he goes into a city, and he hears the gospel, and he believes and repents and is baptized, and boom. He became, he's a whole new person. Change happened immediately in Paul. All right? That's huge. Right? So, so what's this have to do with us, right? There's a so what to everything that we talk about. So, so what about all this change? All right? Why should we change? How can we change? All right? And, and to, to answer that, um, we're going to go to Romans here in a second. Right? And I got to say this. Uh, Revolution has done a phenomenal job in like the last five or six years at, um, at preaching salvation through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, by God's grace alone, right? And I will not apologize for that. That is the only way that anyone's saved. That is the only way that the Bible teaches that you're saved. You're not saved by what you do. You're not saved by how well you can obey Jesus. You're saved by your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. That's it, all right? So don't misconstrue what I'm getting ready to say. But change does happen. Change in your behavior does happen. The things that you do and the things that you don't do change as a result of faith in Jesus. All right, so Romans 5.21 through 6.4. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, so I'm going to set you up, all right? He's saying... It's only through faith in Jesus, right, that we're set free from sin. All right, now we live under God's grace and not God's wrath. We live under God's love and his grace and not the power of sin. All right, and Paul, being a smart man, under direction of the Holy Spirit, knows how sinful that we all are and that we're going to say, oh, so we're not saved by what we do, but we're saved by faith. So I can just do what I want, right? Like, doesn't that, anyone else ever had that thought? Like, am I the only one? Oh, if I'm saved through faith and not works, then I guess I don't have to quit watching porn. Like, this sounds pretty gnarly, or I guess I can just keep doing whatever I want to do. All right? Not the case, because let's see what else he says. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? There's the question. Of course not. King James says, God forbid. One of the few times I actually like King James more. Um, Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? 
For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So how can we change? How can we, how can we start to obey God better? How can we start to obey Jesus' commands better? Because the power of sin is broken. Our old self is dead. It was buried with Christ in our baptism. And we, our new life was raised from baptism just like Christ was raised from the dead. Right? Our old self is dead, like I said earlier. This is how, through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, that we can change. All right? This is how. All right? And like I said, we're no longer slaves to sin. All right? And if we've come to genuine faith in Christ, like Paul just said, and I'm repeating again, if we come to genuine faith in Jesus, we have died to sin and are alive in Christ. That's huge. You may not always feel that way, but that's what the Bible said has happened. You've died to sin and you're made alive in Christ. All right, so now the changes begin, right? Because we're new people. The changes begin like whenever Paul became a Christian and he's been baptized and he believed, all right? And he's filled with the Holy Spirit like we are, those of us who claim to have faith in Jesus. All right, so the changes begin. Now, some of these changes, just right off the rip, just a few easy ones that I can think of, and some of them are pretty broad. All right, we begin to study Scripture, all right, after we come to faith in Christ, it's like King Josiah, right? What does this God have to say about who I am? And what does this God have to say about who he is? And what does this God who saved me through Jesus have to say about what he expects of me? All right, so we go to scripture to learn more about him and what he expects us to do and the things he expects us to abstain from and the things that he expects us to actively do. We study scripture because we want to know more about him. All right, and then we talk to God. All right, we pray. We ask God, you know, what's your will for my life? What are, what are the things that you want me to do? Um, is this the right decision that you want me to make? And then we're wise enough to shut up and listen to what he has to say. All right, we meditate. Praying isn't always just talking, but we, we sit and we be around God. All right, we ask him for direction. We thank him for what he's done. We thank him for the cross. We, we go to him whenever we're upset, right, because we want to be near to God because we understand what he's done for us. All right? We, we, we start to actively kill our sin. All right, and this won't happen overnight. Killing your sin will not happen overnight. And this is the one that I kind of want to key up on here for a minute. We start to actively kill our sin. All right, and like Ryan talked about last week, okay, um, chopping the limbs off of a sin tree, right, whatever your sin of choice is, chopping the limbs off won't deal with the problem, right? The problem is in your heart. The root of the problem is in your heart. And you can't change your heart, all right? You can't change your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. All right, so here's what we do. Whenever it works up, we're talking about killing sin. We pray that the Holy Spirit change our heart, change our attitude toward the sin, all right? Change our attitude towards the people we work with. If you have a problem with that, change our attitude toward um, pornography or change our attitude towards women in general. If you have a lust problem, um, change our attitude towards money if you have a problem with greed, all right? But in the meantime, while we're waiting on that heart change, while the Holy Spirit's working in us, we quit feeding the tree miracle grow, all right? We stop. Right? If we have a heart of lust, we don't just keep feeding ourselves porn. We don't, quit, we don't keep feeding ourselves, like, checking out chicks. All right? If we have a heart of greed, we don't just keep feeding ourselves, like, just more money and, and not doing anything good with it. If we have a spirit of hatred in us, we don't just keep being mean to people. All right? We begin to make changes ourselves while knowing the whole time that it's a heart issue that only the Holy Spirit's going to fix. All right? But we start to institute change as well. Right? We start now, and we pray the whole time that the Holy Spirit changes our heart about it. All right? We also begin to deny ourselves and to do good works. All right? What I mean by deny yourself is, is God's will becomes greater than our will. All right? like, I don't always feel like going to celebrate recovery on Thursday nights, but I know that 
God's will is greater than mine, and he wants us to go after the social outcasts and help the people that no one else wants to go to. So my will, that is to stay home and watch Netflix and hang out with my girlfriend, goes out the window, right? Because God's will is more important than mine, right? Our perspective, our priority, our priorities change. We begin to deny ourselves in order to do good works for the kingdom, right? Like, I don't feel like going to the Father's table, okay? But you'll go there because you understand that Jesus says to feed the people that don't have any food, to befriend the people that have no friends, all right? So God's will supersedes your own, right? It takes precedent over what you want to do. So you deny yourself and do good works for the kingdom of God. All right, and, and, and here's something else to consider. Um, and a lot of you aren't going to like it, and I really don't care. Um, <laughs> if you have none of these changes in your life, or you at least don't have the desire for these changes, that come as a result of faith in Jesus. You need to ask yourself the question, do I really have faith in Jesus Christ? Am I really a Christian? Have I really placed my hope and my trust for salvation in Jesus? All right, these are the questions you have to ask yourself if you have no change, or if you have at least no desire to change. That's the question you have to ask yourself. And I want to stress to you guys, we are not after behavior modification here, all right? I know it sounds like we are, but we're not. We're not after behavior modification, okay? God doesn't want you to just stop looking at porn. God doesn't want you to just stop sleeping with your girlfriend. God doesn't want you to just be a better dad. God doesn't want you to just stop drinking so much. God doesn't want you to just stop smoking dope. God doesn't want you to just be nicer to people. He doesn't want you to change your behavior. He wants your heart. That's what he wants. He wants your heart. He wants all of you. He doesn't want you to change a couple of things to make yourself feel better, like you're following him better. That's part of it, but that's not what he wants. That's not his end goal. His end goal is to get all of you, is to get your heart. And he will get your heart. If you understand a few things, he will get your heart. If you understand that you are a sinner, and your sin is rebellion against God, all right? Your sin is a spit in the face of the most holy, innocent, pure being selfless being in the entire universe that has never done wrong to anything in your rebellion whenever you ignore his commands is to spit in his face and say I deserve your position you don't get to tell me what to do that deserves hell you understand that and then you understand that God is a God of love and God is a God of justice and because of his justice because of his quality of being a just God someone's going to have to pay for your sin right and payment for sin, the most heinous crime in the universe, is the most awful punishment imaginable, and that's hell. Because he's justice, someone's going to have to pay hell. And it's you right now. But God's also a God of love, so he comes here himself as Jesus. All right? God the Son comes to earth, and he takes on flesh. And he lives a sinless life that we can't live, right? Because I think we can all agree that we're sinners. We've all fallen short. We've all disobeyed God at one point or another. And then Jesus lives a sinless life that we can't. And then at the end of his sinless life, he takes all of our sin, all of the rebellion that he didn't commit, all of the things that we did that we deserve to go to hell for, that we deserve God's wrath for, and Jesus goes to the cross and he says, put it on me, I'm going to pay it. I'm going to pay for everything that they've done. I'm going to pay for everything that David did, that Brandon did, that Cheryl did, that Roger did. I'm going to pay for everything that they've done because I love them. 
but because justice also must be done as well. And then God pours out his wrath on Jesus on the cross. And Jesus literally suffers hell on the cross in our place for sins that he did not commit that we did. And then three days later, God raised him from the dead to prove that Jesus' sacrifice was perfect and a good sacrifice that God accepted. And to prove that Jesus is God. And to prove that Jesus did not deserve to die. If you believe that and understand that, God will have your heart. If you really believe that, God will have your heart completely. That he has pursued you. That he loved you in spite of you. In spite of your sinfulness, Jesus came and died for us. In spite of my sinfulness, Jesus died for me and God pursued me and God had his Holy Spirit draw me to repentance. In spite of me, as a blaspheming, God-hating atheist, God did that for me because he loves me. And if I understand that love, and if you understand the love that's been, that's been shown to you through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, you will love Jesus. And Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my commands. This is why this change happens. This is why we fight our sin. This is why we struggle against our flesh. Because we love God. Because we love Jesus. Because we understand that we deserved hell and that we don't get that anymore. Because Jesus has paid for it. That's why we change. That's the only reason that we change. Love creates more love. And we can't repay Jesus, but we can show him gratitude. This is how we show Jesus gratitude. We show Jesus gratitude by worshiping, by changing, by studying scripture, by seeing who God is, by doing good works, by killing our sin. This is how we show our gratitude for a debt that we can never repay. But ultimately, our gratitude for what Jesus has done, our love for what Jesus has done, shows up in in one thing. In addition to all these other things, it all culminates in us sharing the gospel with people. All right. If you look at the disciples uh, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, right, they meet Jesus. They, they have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. And they go away. And they can't help but to go to their friends and go to their family and tell them, hey, we found the Son of God. We found the Messiah. We found the one who's going to fix everything. We found the one who's going to take our sin from us. Come follow him with me. That's what all this culminates in, right? Jesus says to, to go Make disciples of nations, right? That's his last and greatest command to us, right? It's the great commission. So we go and we share the gospel with people because we love our king. And we want to obey him because he has our heart. And we have met Jesus just like the disciples did. Right? In a little bit different way, but we've met the same Jesus. He's just as real. He loves us just as much. Right, so Go. Tell people about Jesus. Share the gospel with people. Kill your sins. Study scripture. Pray. Do good works for the kingdom. Volunteer at the homeless shelter. Do something. If God has your heart. If you understand the gospel and what you deserve and what you don't get through your faith in Jesus. And if Jesus doesn't have your heart, then I I, I pray that you'll come to to genuine belief in Christ. I don't have a prayer to tell you guys for that. It's not in the Bible. The Bible says believe. Put your trust, put your faith in Jesus Christ and his, his sacrifice for your sin. Put your trust and your faith for your salvation in that and that alone and let God have your heart because he loves you and he loves you in spite of you. We do all these things because we love our king and this is what our king commands.
Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you so much for sending your son to die in our place, to die for sinners who deserve hell, to die for sinners who deserve nothing good, and yet you bless us with your son's sacrifice on the cross. And I, I thank you for that, and we can never praise you enough for that. Um, God, I thank you for saving us from the power of sin now and at death. Father, I pray that, that we take this message of forgiveness and we take this message of love and, and we go and, and we begin to make changes in our life and, and be praying the whole time that your Holy Spirit changes the root of the problem in us. God, I pray that we go out and we begin to do good works in the name of the kingdom of God in Jesus' name, that we do all these things. God, I pray that, that genuine heart change comes about because people give their heart to you and you have all of them. But God, I pray above everything that, that we love you and that we share your gospel with people, that Jesus died in our place for our sin. God, I pray that we do all of these things out of a response of gratitude because we love you and we understand who we are and how much we deserve hell and how loving you are and what all you've done for us. God, now we're going to worship you, God, because of everything that you've done, and I thank you for, for, for Jesus' sacrifice. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.